Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 102nd episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on today's episode, we're in Oklahoma again. We're traveling to Oklahoma City to check out the Skirvin Hotel. This was suggested to us by our listener, Samantha Wilson. And we got research assistance from April Rogers Crick once again. And Denise, it was really interesting. I had pointed out to April without intending to, we did the 101 Ranch on the last episode, which also happened to be episode 101. 101. (laughs) It just happened that way. We didn't even plan it that way. And then I was like, you know, I didn't look back in the calendar on January when I was setting up February. And I was like, oh, no, I put Oklahoma locations back to back with each other, which we try to, you know, spread it out a little bit more. But April pointed out, well, you made a perfect road trip here. You started in Dodge City, you came over to the 101 Ranch, and now we're going to the Skirvin Hotel. So there you guys go. You got a road trip. Road trip compliments of History Goes Bump. <laughs> and we didn't even mean it. <laughs> Before you head out on that road trip or join us for the rest of this show, please check out our website at historyghostbump.com. Denise, if people want to send us any feedback, where can they do that? They're going to do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. And we got some feedback over on the fan page. Uh, One of our listeners, Michelle, she is from Ponca City. She was looking forward to listening to the 101 Ranch because she's from that city. Oh, very cool. And Anthony said that he found us from Bizarre States. And so he's been working his way through all of the podcasts. And I just told him, binge, binge, binge. We're fat free. So nothing to worry about. We had another listener ask us about if we've been watching Mercy Street, Denise. I think we better get on that because we keep going, ah, no, not yet. Of course, it is past this old lady's bedtime. I know that's part of the problem. (laughs) We watch Downton Abbey and then it's like, oh, we need to go to bed. (laughs) Here comes Mercy (laughs) Street. My sister says it's awesome. 
I, I have heard that from several people, but I barely make it through if I make it through the second showing of Downton Abbey. So I don't know that I would make it at all through Mercy Street. And we got a message from Sheila. She says, hi, ladies. My name is Sheila. I'm an over the road truck driver and you keep me great company. I love everything about the podcast. I especially like when I hear stories about places I've been near. I'm so curious about the lunatic asylum I see billboards for in Kentucky. And I'm also curious about apparitions people claim to see along highways at night. I primarily do drive at night, and unfortunately, I see the living doing more curious things than the dead. (laughs) So she must have some good stories for us. I bet she does. Uh, She told us to keep up the good work, and she's been working her way through the archives. And then she let us know that the billboard that she's been seeing advertising a certain location is actually for the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Oh, wow. I was like, oh, yeah, we've heard of that place. Now, we have had a couple people request it, and because it's... I don't know. It's been like done to death and so well known in the paranormal. <laughs> done to death. No pun intended. <laughs> and so well known in the paranormal investigation community. I've kind of put it on the back burner so we could do a lot of places that people haven't heard of or that haven't been done. We will get to it one of these days. Sheila, I dare you guys to go check it out. <laughs> yeah, go go check it out and report back. And then, Denise, I have another great podcast for people to check out. It's called Beyond Bourbon Street. I let everybody in the Spectacular crew know about this last week, but I've really been enjoying it. It gets into the history of some of the things they do in New Orleans, like Mardi Gras and such, and also gives you a lot of insider tips if you're going to be doing any touring there so that you know the best times to come, where to eat. And one of the places that Mark, who hosts the show, suggested people go eat at is this place called The Gumbo Shop. Sold. I'm there. I knew I you love would gumbo. be. <laughs> I knew you would be. And then he mentioned that it was housed in this building from 1790. And of course, I'm going, New Orleans, 1790? <laughs> the place has got to be haunted. So I looked it up, and sure enough, the gumbo shop is haunted. Hey, we could call that meetup Ghost and Gumbo. That would be fabulous. And we could eat and be scared all at the same time. Absolutely. So I tweeted over to the gumbo shop and I'd asked them if it was haunted or if they noticed anything strange going on there. And they tweeted back at us. It does get awfully spooky in here, but as long as our gumbo stays delicious, no complaining. Hashtag ghost chef. So who was answering my question? Also want to give a shout out to Thomas Campbell. Thanks so much for tweeting at us over on Twitter. He found us from listening to Bizarre States as well and has been working through our back archives and says we've made a permanent place on his playlist. So we thank you greatly for that. We want to welcome to the spectacular crew, Anthony. Hi, Anthony. Zachary. Hey, Zachary. And Christy. Hey, Christy. Spelled with a double E, I believe. It is. Anna K. Anna K. Which is very different. I have a sister named Christy, too. All right, Denise, are you ready to go check in to the Skirvin Hotel? Um, as long as it's not like the Hotel California, let's go. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com.
History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to This Moment in Oddity. Herbert Illig believes that much of what we know about the Middle Ages is just made up, and he calls his theory the Phantom Time Hypothesis. Illig is a German historical conspiracy theorist that believes the early Middle Ages, dating from 614 to 911, was fabricated through alterations, misrepresentations, and downright forgery, and that Charlemagne himself never existed. Part of the evidence he points to is the fact that Romanesque architecture is seen in the 10th century, so only half a millennium could have passed since the fall of the Roman Empire. He also points to the lack of archaeological evidence. Who did this and why, according to Illig? The Holy Roman Emperor Otto III, Pope Sylvester II, and the Byzantine Emperor Constantine VII instigated the alterations, and they did it so the Anno Domini dating system placed them at the special year of A.D. 1000. Let's not ignore the fact that more than Europe's history would have been altered to support phantom time. The papacy history and Islamic history would need a changing too, as well as many other regions, including Asia, whose Tang Dynasty observations on solar happenings like Halley's Comet are current and match the calendar without phantom time. Romanesque styling still makes its way into architecture to this day. So does the history we tell you on this podcast really exist? How about what Dan Carlin is talking about on hardcore history? Stuff you missed in history class is probably just made up too. Perhaps the time you are in right this very minute doesn't exist. This is all just a figment of your imagination. A big ball of phantom time. Now that certainly is odd. Afraid of the dark? That's just silly. What you should be afraid of is the thing that watches you sleep. <laughs> this day in history. On this day, February third, in eighteen sixty-seven. Prince Machihito becomes Emperor Meiji of Japan at the age of 14. Emperor Machihito adopted the reign name Meiji, meaning enlightened government, and ruled in that name from 1868 to 1912. Emperor Meiji presided over a time of rapid change in Japan, as the nation rose from a feudal shogunate to become a world power. He supported the growing popular consensus on the need for modernization of Japan along western lines that had developed as a result of the country's resumption of contact with other nations after a 250-year period of cultural and economic isolation. The restoration of the emperor as sole ruler of a unified Japan came to be known as the Meiji Restoration. Emperor Meiji's advisors believed that the strength of western nations depended on constitutional government for national unity, on industrialization for material strength, and on a powerful and well-trained military for national security. Most Japanese took to western technology with enthusiasm. Between 1868 and 1885, Japan acquired postal services, a telegraph system, railways, banks, and steam-powered overseas shipping lines. Universal education was introduced during the Meiji era, which was intended to produce a high level of literacy and knowledge of science and to infuse children with traditional morality and virtue. You're listening 
Everybody's bump. Westward expansion was pulling people from the east into the Wild West. Oklahoma City was a boom town from 1898 to 1909, and many people flocked there. William Skirvin was one of those people who came to Oklahoma City, and he built a hotel that has survived into today. The Skirvin Hotel was meant to be the most grandiose and fancy hotel in the area. And it was, hosting some of the luminaries of the day. For a time it was abandoned, but today it is the property of Hilton and still hosting guests from around the world. But the Skirvin Hotel seems to be hosting more than just the living. This hotel is considered by some as the most haunted location in Oklahoma. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Skirvin Hotel. The 1830s saw things changing drastically for the Native American people. President Andrew Jackson's first major piece of legislation was the Indian Removal Act of 1830. This allowed the government to evict the Native Americans east of the Mississippi River from the lands they were living upon. Most people are familiar with the Trail of Tears, and you do recall, Denise, we saw one of the um, markers for this. Chattanooga, Was that in Chattanooga? I think so. So we saw part of the Trail of Tears while we were there in uh, Tennessee. This was the route that these evicted Native Americans followed into what was deemed Indian Territory in the West. Five main tribes were affected, and these tribes were the Cherokee, Chickasaw, Choctaw, Muscogee, and the Seminole. They are referred to as the Five Civilized Tribes. The reason for this name is that Native Americans had been encouraged to learn to read and speak English and convert to Christianity. And these five tribes adopted those customs, deeming them as civilized to the white Americans, Denise. That's not arrogant in the least. No. You know, they weren't civilized unless they were speaking like everybody else. <laughs> Hasn't changed all. <laughs> That's true. The journey on the Trail of Tears was difficult and deadly. It ended in Oklahoma, which was known as Indian Territory. Listeners, you might recall that in the last show when we were referencing Oklahoma, several times we called it Indian Territory because at the time it wasn't known as Oklahoma. It was Indian Territory. The western part of Oklahoma was considered unassigned land, and so many pioneers decided to settle in that area, which included Oklahoma City. These pioneers were called boomers, and the government was not happy with them basically squatting on the land. So it held a series of land runs so these pioneers could claim land. A land run is when the government opens up previously restricted land to homesteading. The way the land is claimed is first come, first serve, basically. The boomers were not necessarily wrong with what they were doing because the Homestead Act of 1862 stated that settlers could claim 160 acres of public land and they considered western Oklahoma to be public land. After the land run was announced, some settlers tried to stake their claim to the land before it was legal, and this group was called the Sooners. A fun fact, the University of Oklahoma used Boomers as its mascot before changing it to Sooners. And Denise, for all these years, I've heard the University of Oklahoma called the Oklahoma Sooners, and I had no idea what that meant. Did you? I did not. I did not know what a Sooner was, so I was like, "Mm, I'm not sure what that mascot's supposed to be. So I thought it was interesting that they started off with what they were originally called were the Boomers, and then they became the Sooners. And I'm assuming that they used, they got that name because they got there sooner than anybody else. It's the only thing I can think of where that name would have come from. But what they would do is they would kind of sit there and wait until they knew that the land run was going to start. 
And then right before the land one would start, they'd like jump out there. This is mine. It's mine. And the government said, uh, no, we haven't opened it up yet. (laughs) (laughs) So they called these guys a bunch of Sooners. Oklahoma became a state in 1907, shortly after the land runs. And there were several major ones. I know of two at least. Guthrie was the territorial capital, but in 1910, Oklahoma City, which was incorporated in 1890, was declared the capital. And that was just because it had more population. So they're like, you know, we really should make Oklahoma City the capital. It's got more people. I think at that time they had 60,000 as their population. Oklahoma City was oil rich, and this brought about the oil boom, which brought many people to the city. Many of these oil men would bring about other business and trade for the city. The Skirvin Hilton was originally named the Skirvin Hotel. This is the oldest hotel in Oklahoma City. The name Skirvin came from its founder, William Balser Skirvin, known as WB, and it was Skirvin's desire to build a high-class hotel that would be considered the finest accommodations in the area. Skirvin was born on November 10, 1860 in Michigan near Sturgis. He grew up on the family farm there. Skirvin's mother died when he was eight and his father left for business leaving Skirvin and his sister in the care of their grandmother. He lived with her until he was 15, and then he set off on his own, finally ending up in Kansas selling farm machinery. Skirvin later got into real estate, and when the Oklahoma Territory opened up, he and a partner went in and bought property in Guthrie. He later moved his family, which included two daughters and a son, to Galveston, Texas. He survived the hurricane that all but wiped out Galveston in 1900. 6,000 people lost their lives in that storm, And one of those people was nearly Skirvin, who risked his life several times to save others. After losing his home in the storm, he got involved in the oil business. This made him a rich man. He relocated to a growing city in Oklahoma named Oklahoma City in 1906. He again pursued real estate and then set his focus on building a hotel. Before that happened, his wife passed away in 1908. He would never remarry, but rumors would arise later that he carried on a relationship with a maid at the hotel he would soon be building. The real truth is that he probably had a relationship with his bookkeeper, Mabel Luddy, but she outlived him. Construction began on the Scriven Hotel in 1910 at the corner of 1st Street and Broadway in Oklahoma City. The architects were Solomon Layton, Hicks and Forsyth, and Kaylor Slater. Two 10-story towers were built with 225 rooms. In 1926, a third tower was added that rose to 13 stories. In 1930, all three towers were raised to 14 stories to make them all level. The hotel had a total of 525 rooms after that expansion. The lobby's floor was originally laid with white tile, but in later years, carpet covered over the tiles. Denise, I was looking everywhere to find a description of what the hotel was built with and how it was designed, what was on the inside. I couldn't find anything about it had a ballroom or anything of that nature. And I was like, I can't believe that there's nothing out here that talks about what this hotel looks like. Well, I am searching and searching and I go back through the old newspapers that were for the Daily Oklahoman. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, I find one that was dated for Sunday, October 1st, 1911, which was talking about the opening of this hotel. And for people who follow us on Instagram, I put it over there and showed everybody what it looked like. Now, the writing on it is, some of it was bigger letters, and then there were smaller letters. And the smaller letters 
as I tried to bring it up to where you could even read it, I could not read it. I had my reading glasses on and a magnifying glass and I could not read. So there's going to be parts of this that I'm going to say we can't read it, but I will share with you as much as I can. And I just thought this was fascinating to see how they were describing this hotel and advertising it to get people to come and stay there. The Skirvin Hotel, which has just opened its doors to the public at Oklahoma City, is the best hotel in the Southwest and the most modern in all hoteldom. A sterling hospitality that is unrivaled in its warmth and sincerity radiates everywhere from this splendidly equipped hotel. The Skirvin Hotel is complete in every detail and absolutely fireproof. That was a big deal back then, <laughs> saying stuff was fireproof. The rates are as moderate as will be found anywhere. The Skirvin Hotel is 10 stories in height of pleasing architecture and contains 225 rooms, each with an individual private bath. That was another big deal back then. No kidding. The lobby of the Skirvin is of English Gothic and furnishes the motif for the decorations and furnishings throughout the interior of the hotel. A comfortable, home-like atmosphere prevails everywhere, which first impresses you with its kindly warmth the moment you enter the lobby. The hotel has two large entrances, one from Broadway and the other from First Street. Courteous employees are quick to anticipate your wants and to fill them promptly and quietly. Convention hall, banquet room, and the mezzanine floor are furnished. And I couldn't read this word, luxurious style. And then I couldn't read what kind of lighting system it had, but it must have been something kind of impressive because they were pointing out that it had the blank lighting system is used. The grill room in the basement and the cafe on the first floor are sumptuously furnished. And then I couldn't read the rest of whatever that said either. Afternoon tea will be served in the tea room, which adjoins mezzanine floor. The tea room has been daintily decorated by hand in delicate designs and will be the afternoon rendezvous for fashionable people from all over the state. So it almost sounds like it's a bar, but it's a tea room. <laughs> Everybody come on down. It's like cheers. <laughs> it's uh, tea for cheers or cheers for tea. Special care is provided for unaccompanied women and children. So if you are an unaccompanied woman, you really shouldn't be going for tea, but they've made special arrangements for you. Isn't it neat because to see that's tea, the time tea is back pretty, then? pretty like uh, risque. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen in that tea room. So it's provided for unaccompanied women and children and a maid attends to their every want and comfort with constant attention. I want to stay at this place because it's like they're, they anticipate what you want and they wait on you hand and foot. There is not a more modern kitchen anywhere than that which serves the excellent meals provided at the Skirvin. Everything is snowy white. Absolute cleanliness prevails to the last degree. All the tables, shelving, etc. are of white, and I couldn't read what kind of metal. Here, as in the cafe, is a superb ventilation system, and the cold storage is the latest design. A capable chef is in charge of a core of seasoned experts who have reduced cooking to a known science. I want to eat there, too. I like that they say a capable chef. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they're using it that he's capable for the level to it, handle it all, but it just sounds funny. Exactly. <laughs> Mr. Frederick W. Sherubel, general manager of the Skirvin Hotel, has a wide acquaintance with and knowledge of the needs of the traveling public of the Southwest, and in this hotel has met their every requirement. No better host nor hotel can be found anywhere. Wow. So they were very impressed with what they put on there. Absolutely. And when you see the outside of this hotel, it is very, it's a nice looking hotel. It's very beautiful. Peggy Woolwich, a desk clerk in the 1940s, said of her experience at the hotel, 
Quote, it was great working at the Skirvin. I was there when Bob Hope came. It was an elegant place, overstuffed chairs, guests sitting in the lobby reading the paper. I also danced for Catherine Duffy at WKY in the Skirvin Tower. A lot of people from New York would come in for showing of clothes, and I would model for them. The Skirvin was more elite than the other hotels. The Biltmore was good, but it just didn't compare to the Skirvin, end quote. Skirvin's daughter was Pearl Mesta. She was the American ambassador to Luxembourg. She was dubbed the hostess with the mostess because she hosted the best and most lavish parties in Washington, D.C. for dignitaries. An invitation to one of her parties meant that one had truly arrived and was now a part of the inner circle. Irving Berlin's musical, Call Me Madam, is about Pearl Mesta. Oh, wow. And she actually, her name was spelled like Pearl, P-E-A-R-L, and she changed it to P-E-R-L-E. I don't know if she thought that sounded more foreign or... Yeah, I don't know, because... At first I was like, how do I pronounce that? And then when I was looking at her biography, I went, oh, it must be pronounced Pearl, because that's how she originally spelled it. On March 12th, 1944, Skirvin was in a severe car accident and sustained several life-threatening injuries. He lingered until March 25th and then passed away from his injuries. His necrology was written by Fred P. Branson and ends with, quote, It can justly be said that he was one of the outstanding stalwart citizens of Oklahoma, his adopted state, and his efforts produced marks of progress, which are now and will continue to be for a long number of years, not only useful institutions, but monuments to his efforts and name, end quote. So his children took over the the hotel, but they really were not interested in being in the hotel business. So they sold it to a hotelier by the name of Dan James, and he bought it for $3 million. Wow, that doesn't seem like that much for such a grand hotel. No, and when we go on to talk about the renovations, uh, that money doesn't even come close to how much they spent renovating it. He held on to it for 20 years, and it was during his era that it really started to take off, having a lot of celebrities come in and visit. So he had it for 20 years. The next 23 years saw the hotel passing through many hands. I didn't want to list all of them, but there were different groups that owned it for a while. I know there was a group in Chicago called The Syndicate who had owned it for a while. Some of the famous people that stayed at the hotel included Jimmy Hoffa, so now we know where he's at, Roger Staubach, Harry Truman, Frank Sinatra, Dwight D. Eisenhower, Elvis, Mikhail Baryshnikov, and as you heard earlier, Bob Hope. The hotel was segregated during much of this time, and blacks could only enter if they worked on the custodial or banquet staff. The Skirvin Hotel was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1979. Nearly 10 years later, in 1988, the hotel closed. It stood abandoned for 15 years, but after a $46.4 million renovation, it was opened once again. Interestingly, before this project, a Native American group came in with a proposal to turn the hotel into a casino. The restoration tried to bring the hotel back to its historical roots by incorporating the same designs in the tiles, ceiling treatments, and moldings as the original hotel. Historically accurate windows were installed, and the exterior was finished as it had once been. Upgrades were made in meeting rooms to make them state-of-the-art, New elevators were installed, the lobby was updated, new restaurants were open, and guest rooms were updated. 
Now, as I was looking through these stories in the Oklahoman, I came upon one that was more recent from April of 2015. And sadly, I found out from that article that the rules that accompany tax credits that were used to pay for that restoration, because what had happened is Oklahoma City was like a lot of downtown areas. It had just gone dead. Nobody wanted to go to the downtown area. There was crime. They didn't want to stay in the hotels there. People had moved to the suburbs. So it just was really going through a bad period, which is why it sat there abandoned for so long. And they decided they wanted to revitalize the downtown area. So this is why they got all these tax credits and stuff going. And one of the rules that was in there is that they had to restore the hotel to its previous, what it, what it had been before. Well, now those rules have expired. And the current owners that are there plan to tear out much of the historically restored items, which includes the tiles in the foyer. What happened is these tiles date back to the hotel's opening. Apparently what had happened is after a period of time, they'd laid carpet over it. So it probably protected the tiles for many of the years. And then when they took the carpet back, they're like, oh my gosh, we have the original tiles that were here. Well, they're very hard to maintain, and if they break, you can't get them anymore because, you know, back in 1911, you're not going to be able to find something in 2016 that matches it. So I understand why they want to do something to make it easier to maintain, but I really hate to hear that they're going to do something like that because it just makes you wonder if they're going to start doing that with everything else in the hotel, and then pretty soon it's not really what it had been before. Exactly. So I'm hoping that this change is not related to money, that it really is an issue with the floor, and that they're not going to tear out everything else that had been used to keep it, refurbish it back to where it was before. It is thought that during the Prohibition years, high-class social escorts may have made their way into the Skirvin Hotel and made their way past the main desk to service gentlemen guests. Being that the hotel is so big, it would be hard to keep track of what was going on in all 225 guest rooms. It is thought that one of these young women may have been killed in one of the guest rooms. Guests of the hotel have said that they have heard the cries and screams of a woman. Strange noises and items being moved by an unseen presence have also been reported. Male guests have reported hearing a disembodied female voice proposition them. Sometimes when a male guest is showering, a naked female appears in the bathroom. One male guest reports waking up to an amorous female entity in his bed. Is this the ghost of one of those high-class call girls? So I don't know that these male guests are complaining (laughs) about this particular ghost. Actually, one of the stories that I saw, a man basically described it as um, that he was sexually assaulted. So that's not funny. But yeah, very, very interesting. That just creeps me out because it reminds me of that scene in The Shining. Oh, yeah. You're right. And And that woman getting out of the bathtub. And then she turned around and she's all decayed and creepy. I think the first time I saw that, you know, they showed it on TV. So they had to blur out the body. And so then it was even creepier because you're like, ugh, that's a blurred out body. It is also rumored that W.B. Skirvin himself had an affair with a young maid and a pregnancy resulted. To avoid a scandal and what would quite possibly be the ruin of his name, Skirvin is said to have held the maid captive on the top of the 14th floor during and after her pregnancy. The woman was in such distress that she would scream and bang on the door, but no one would help her. She eventually went mad and jumped out a window to her death with her baby in her arms. That's one version of the story. Another version leaves Skirvin completely out of the story, but reports the same story about the maid jumping from the ledge with her baby. 
Perhaps she was suffering from a combination of postpartum depression, abandonment by her lover, and a sense of hopelessness. And I would go with that story more than I would with Skirvin. Just based on the kind of man that he seemed to be, I just don't see him doing something like that, knocking some maid up and then locking her up. And as I pointed out, the only rumor that was going around about him having a quote-unquote affair would be with his bookkeeper. And as we said earlier, she outlived him, so she obviously didn't throw herself off the building. The name of the maid is unknown, and so in the 1970s and 1980s, the staff took to calling the apparition Effie. Her apparition has been seen wandering up and down the hallways. She's also been seen standing near the window she jumped from. One witness said they saw Effie run to the window like she was going to go out and then faded away into nothing. It is also said that the cries of the baby can be heard and has been known to keep female guests awake. That would be horrible. Oh, I can't even imagine a ghostly baby cry. Right. The cleaning carts have been seen rolling up and down the halls with no staff in sight as well. Starting around 2010, after the Skirvin had reopened and the Thunder basketball team moved to Oklahoma City, other NBA teams would stay at the Skirvin when coming into play. The New York Knicks claimed creaks and groans caused a sleepless night that then caused them to lose the game against the Thunder the next night. Uh-huh, sure. <laughs> excuses, excuses. A player for the Chicago Bulls could not explain why his bathroom door slammed shut and why there were strange noises out in the hallways. A player for the Phoenix Suns woke to find his bathtub filled with water. We had another haunting in which this phenomenon happened, too. Sports commentator Reggie Miller phoned into the Dan Patrick radio show to talk about the NBA playoffs. He mentioned his experience with Effie the ghost. Miller said when he went to bed, he placed his water bottle on the nightstand, and when he woke up, it was somewhere else. For him, this confirmed the legend of Effie. Or he was getting up in the middle of the night, taking a swig and moving it somewhere else and forgot. I find it interesting that you have all of these basketball teams that have come there and they've all had experiences. These are not guys that are going to make this up. Probably not. Although, like you said, it's, yeah, excuses, excuses. But um, I don't know. It's not like it was just one team. It's a lot of teams coming in and saying that. Something's going bump in that hotel. Jesse Powell was a security guard who worked at the hotel during renovations He wrote, quote, I actually worked security during its renovation. I worked while the building was being cleaned and restored. I could tell you for sure that the building is haunted. My partner and I were up on the sixth floor looking out a window and we heard someone running up the stairs. The building had been locked up tightly and no one could have possibly gotten in. So we took off down the hall and up the stairs. Me at one end, my partner at the other. We ran all the way up checking each floor and found no one. Many times we heard people in the hallways and looked out and found no one there, end quote. So this is more than just hearing a baby or a woman. They're hearing people in the hallways, which makes you wonder if that's a residual party or something. Exactly. A cook has claimed to hear pots and pans banging into each other at night and upon investigation found no one else in the kitchen. Guests report other strange oddities. Could it be that some spirits from the past are still making the Skirvin their home? Is the Skirvin Hotel haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, as we said on that one list, it made it as the number one haunted place in Oklahoma. Our next episode is going to feature a castle. 
in Scotland. We're going back to Scotland again. Oh, very nice. This is Glamis Castle, and this one was suggested to us by Heather Williams. So thank you for that, Heather. And I think people are going to enjoy this one. There's a lot of legend and lore with this castle. And the royal family has deep connections to it as well. Oh, very cool. Before we close out the show, we got a couple of reviews here to share with everybody. We got a four-star review from Blankeny0213. I love the mix of history, ghost stories, and the oddities. The hosts are funny, and you can tell they put a lot of work into researching in a particular place. I'm also in Jacksonville, Florida, and hope to meet up with them on their next adventure. Keep up the good work. Well, we'll have to let you know when we're up in the Jacksonville area, or maybe you'll have to shoot down and join us in St. Augustine sometime. Yep, because we do go there quite often. Yes, we do. Tracy, 1869 Reds. History told with a twist of scary five stars. When I found this podcast, I could not quit listening. The hosts do a great job in mixing history with the paranormal. Great content and awesome research are told in a way to hold your attention. You can also tell Diane and Denise love what they are doing. Thank you. Keep them coming. Well, we most definitely will do that. And five stars from Tawilia. Love haunted history. I've been listening for nine months or so. I have a bachelor's in history and I love the added history the spectacular crew digs up. The only thing I struggle with is the volume between bits is not leveled out. I hope we've taken care of that issue. I'm a team truck driver, and when I listen, I am always having to reach for the volume control to adjust. Still giving five stars. Love the show and have seen the improvements, by the way. My husband and I are always on the lookout for haunted tours. Well, let us know what you think of some of them that you've done along the route. Absolutely. I'm we, sure love, we love checking out haunted tours when we travel. So Yeah, I'm, and I'm sure there's a lot along the roads that they are hitting. And something I mentioned to Sheila, the other truck driver that we mentioned earlier, is thank you to the truck drivers who keep this country running. Because without them, it wouldn't run. Nope, we wouldn't get any of our things or food. We want to thank everybody for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. And we want to welcome new executive producers, Rhonda Williams and Mary Beth Gardner. Thank you. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Ninth Story Podcast. Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, One Podcast at a Time. <laughs>